Thank you for tuning in to our North Point Community Church podcast. Wherever you are in your faith journey, we pray that as you listen to this message, you will be encouraged and empowered. If you would like more information about our community, visit our website at ncc.team. All right, so this is what I'm going to be talking about tonight and what I'm, what I'm hoping for um, and what I'm praying for and what I believe that God's going to do. Um, each of us are here because we want to see expansion in our lives, right? We believe that, that you know, there is more. We believe that God has more for us. We believe that, that we need to move down the path. That's what we believe. And, I, you know, every time I come into church, I just really sincerely believe that God is going to speak to me and that he's going to talk to me. If you don't mind, will y'all scoot kind of towards the middle so I don't have to look quite as far over? That would be great. That would just be helpful to me. Also, I just like making people move. So <laughs> it's just, it's, it's an anointing I got from my mother early on. But anyway, um, I, I think that every time we come in that God wants to, to speak to us. But this is what I'm hoping for this particular session. I am praying that you will ask God, what are the things that are blocking your life from expanding? What are the things that are frustrating your growth? What are the things that are keeping you from moving on? keeping you from moving forward in whatever area it is. Ask God to search your heart. And so this is what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm going to go through. Um, I borrowed this pink. This is so pink, is it not? I mean, anyway, they're selling this at the book cart. So if you want a super pink Bible, you can get one at the book cart. But um, I borrowed this from the book cart because I wanted to, to read out of, out of a, an actual Bible. Um, Matthew 6. Uh, because I think that there's some things in there that are going to give us a clue about some of the things that might be keeping us from expansion. You know, sometimes we can read the Bible chapter by chapter, and we can miss the context of what God is saying to us and, and what was actually going on. And Matthew 6 is in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Now, you show up on Sundays, and, you know, you hear us or you hear someone give a sermon, and we've spent time preparing that sermon with the goal that you will walk away with something for your life, okay? The, one of the reasons we do it that way, one of the reasons that we communicate as a church that way is because that is the pattern in the Bible, and that is the way that Jesus communicated. Jesus gave sermons. He gave talks. He gave teachings. And one of his most famous is called the Sermon on the Mount. And it starts in uh, Matthew 5, and then it moves through a couple chapters. And, and, and it says so many incredibly important things. But if I was going to say what the Sermon on the Mount really, really boils down to, is it, it is about establishing our identity, like what Philip says, and then breaking us through to expansion, pointing out those things in our life that are going to keep us from the abundant life. So let's just dig in and let's just read together a few of those things, a few of those things, starting Matthew 6. Matthew 6. It's new Bible, sticky, sticky pages but very pink, sticky pages, so it's all good. 
All right, starting in verse, I'm actually going to start in verse 14. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others your sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Your Father will not forgive your sins. Now, let, let, let's look. I wanted to skip there because the first thing that blocks our expansion is unforgiveness. The very first thing that, that blocks our expansion is unforgiveness. We had the chance during um, the Crossroads series to talk through forgiveness. And um, it, it was a wonderful time interviewing um, uh, Monique Weeks, who's up at um, North Dakota, you know, pioneering a work up there. She and her husband, they're incredible people. And um, talking through how forgiveness was the thing that was keeping her from moving forward in her faith. She had made a decision not to forgive her family. And that unforgiveness seeped out because you can't contain it, okay? You can't. You can't just compartmentalize it. You can't say, I'm going to give grace and forgiveness to everybody except for this one person. It doesn't work that way. It will seep out, and it will poison every single relationship that you have, including your relationship between you and God. Right? So she had, she had chosen unforgiveness. She had chosen not to forgive. And because of that, it stunted her growth, and it kept her from moving forward in her faith. So she wasn't able to connect with people. She, she wasn't able to, to expand in the fruits of the Spirit because she had literally disconnected herself from God. And you can't bear the fruits of the Spirit unless you're connected to God. And sometimes we look at our lives and we say, God, I need more patience and I need more love and I need more of this and I need more of that. I need more joy. And what we really need to do is go back and to forgive to go back and to forgive. But, but I want to give the context of, of, of him saying this because it's pretty, it's pretty phenomenal, actually, if you look at it, because he goes through all of our reactions to, um, all of our reactions to persecution. So he goes through and he says, you are blessed, you are happy if all of these things happen to you, the Beatitudes, right? And then he says, look, um, you know, you're going to basically be persecuted, right? You need to rejoice and be glad because you're, you know, you're in, get your rewards in heaven and hey, this is who you are. This is your identity. Your identity is your salt and you are light. And then he starts going through the possible responses that you might have to trouble in your life. And he says, it, it's not the law that's going to make the difference. And he said, it, it, it's not about anger. You're not going to be able to work it out through anger. And you're not going to be work, able to work it out through, through abandoning your responsibilities with your relationships with other people. And, you, and you're not going to be able to work it out with revenge. And you're not going to be able to work it out with all those things. And in fact, I'm not calling you to all that. Instead, what I'm calling you to do is to love. I'm calling you to love your enemies. Now, guys, I just want to say, I think that this is one of the most overspoken and underanalyzed sentences in Christianity. We are called to love our enemies. Enemies. 
can we talk about who our enemies are? See, as Americans, we have a culture that says we nuke our enemies, okay? Hey, look, if you want to do that, that's totally fine. It's a military thing, whatever. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is that is our specific culture when it comes to each other. I'm going to destroy you. You said something about me. I'm going to get on internet. I'm going to destroy you. That store did something inappropriate that I didn't like. I'm going to set up a campaign and I'm going to destroy you. Shock and awe right now here. Boom. Right? Isn't that kind of the way we are? And, you know, the thing is, it's so funny. We see it in other people, and then we don't see it in ourselves. Right? We're like, I can't believe they responded that way. Really, what happened the last time that a waitress dumped hot coffee on your lap? You know what I mean? Your enemies, the person at work who has it out for you, your enemies, The person in your family who has made it difficult for you, your enemies, the person that believes differently than you do about a political issue that you feel strongly about, your enemies. And this is what's so cool is it doesn't say love your enemies if they have a reasonable point. I'm just saying what the Bible says. It says love your enemies even if they're dead wrong, even if, they're, even, if, even if they, when he was saying love your enemies, these people knew who he was talking about, and he was talking about uncircumcised oppressors of their nation who literally were, were crucifying their people in mass reprisals. That's who the enemies of the Jews were. And Jesus said, love your enemies? If that doesn't seem a little harsh, do you ever, anybody, anybody ever have a problem and you go to somebody, like Philip, for example, I don't know, I mean, you could have somebody else, but like for me, for Philip, you know, and you have a problem and you go to him and he says something like super not empathetic, you know, I mean, this is a hypo, it's total hypothetical, it's like, you know, you know what I'm talking about? That person who like tells you the hard truth, but doesn't. Jesus here is telling us a hard truth. He's telling us a hard truth. He's saying that we need to love our enemies and that that is the answer. But this is what's so neat is that he tells us to love our enemies, but then he, he follows it up with, but don't do it for a show. Don't do it so everybody can see you. Don't get on your high horse. And do all those good things so that everybody else can see you. Instead, let it be between you and God. And this is what is the sacred beauty of forgiveness. Is forgiveness is between you and God. And only you and he know if you've really forgiven. And that's why it's the core of everything. And that's why it's the core heart issue. 
And that's why it's the one thing, literally the one thing in Scripture that will block you from having your sins forgiven is if you choose not to forgive others. Wow. Man, I want expansion. I want God to use me. Then you're going to have to forgive. I mean, really forgive. I mean, stop bringing up the past. I mean, letting go that record of wrongs in that ongoing relationship that you have. Now, we always say this as a, as a clarifier. If you're in an abusive relationship, leave. We will help you. You do not have to stay in an abusive relationship. That is not what this is about. This is not about not prosecuting for justice. It's not what I'm talking about either. Okay? Everybody clear on that, right? Okay. But we do this in marriage. Well, I forgive you, and the next time there's a fight, what do you do? Come on. I know you do it because I do it. You know what? You're not really sorry because if you were sorry, you wouldn't do this. Oh, no one's ever said that before? <laughs> Keep a record of wrongs. We, we play this game. We, we go back into our past, and, and when we self-sabotage again, and we make a bad choice again, instead of letting God deal with our heart, we bring up that mom or that dad or that uncle or that cousin or that teacher who taught us the wrong way and we get mad at them all over again and we just get angry and we allow that anger and that unforgiveness to distract us from what God wants to do in us. Man, it's hard. And you know, this is, this is what I've found about unforgiveness, is that God will bring things back up to you in the strangest of times. You will be asking him for provision for your family. Lord, help me with a new job. Lord, I need help with this. Or, or Father, I want to go to the mission field. And he'll remind you of people that you're mad at. And you know when that person comes up to your mind? That's the Holy Spirit saying, will you do the thing that no one else knows about? See, will you do the thing in secret that the Father can reward you for in the public? Will you unplug that pipeline to expansion? Forgiveness. It's, it's not optional. It, it's, it's the way it has to be. And then, it, you know, he, he goes on and and, um, and it's really interesting because he, he talks about fasting and he says, don't do this out in public and make everybody see. And this is one of the things. This is a great thing. The Bible can be read on about a billion layers, okay? So if you're like, I haven't heard that before, that's fine. It's just another layer, all right? But with this fasting thing being right after forgiveness, this is the way that I see it, is it's you don't need to, to, to make a big show about this, Okay? You don't have to like fall in sackcloth and ashes for two months and tell everybody about how you forgave and how awesome you are 
and how, gosh, it was so hard. Does that make sense to you? Because this is the thing, is that we can make a monument to our own greatness at forgiving that is really just secret unforgiveness because it lets us hold on to unforgiveness and make it spiritual, right? When what we want to do is that we really want to forgive and we want to make God's forgiveness of us the center and the core and the cornerstone of our lives. And then it goes to verse 19, and I love this. It says, don't store up your treasures in heaven. No, it says, don't store up your treasures on earth. Oh, huh. That's interesting. So we're supposed to store up our treasures in heaven where moths and vermin don't destroy and where thieves do not break up and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There were actually three more I wanted to talk about in there. I'm going to come back. No, I'm going to talk about them right now, and then we're going to go to that. Okay. Criticism. Criticism is actually really attached to unforgiveness in a lot of ways because when you choose not to forgive, you're choosing to be a judge, and that judgmental spirit will express itself in criticism of everybody around you. And so watch your mouth. Seriously. In the South, we say that as a way to tell people to be quiet, but I mean that like in the literal English sentence, like, what do you talk about? You know, um, I've known married couples who literally only, only talked about how much they didn't like their jobs and other people when they got together. And this is what the thing is, is they did that so that they could avoid talking about anything in their own relationship. And this is what's interesting about that, is that when one of them becomes happy and fulfilled in their career, a lot of times their, their marriage will start to flounder because the common ground of mutual unhappiness and criticism of everyone is gone. It's sand. It's sand. It is, is that I've had relationships that I've, had to, I've honestly had to say goodbye to because the only thing that they wanted to do when we got together was just be critical of other people. Can we just be real? That's a real thing. And that, that really does come from unforgiveness because when you start to forgive other people, I believe that you get a revelation of what it must be like for God to truly forgive you. And then you want to forgive more people and then you get more of a revelation of, man, God has really forgiven me a lot more than this. And then you give, and, and this is the thing, is you start getting out of the judge chair and you start getting into the serving position And the thing about a servant is a servant doesn't criticize. A servant just serves. A servant doesn't talk bad about everybody. A servant just serves. And so when I find in my own mouth, in my own home, that I am being critical, I look to my heart and say, where is that unforgiveness going? Who have I not released in my life? Because I'm certainly acting like a judge right now. You know? Okay, so criticism. Comparison. Comparison is, is so incredibly huge. And actually, I'm going to do that one next. Okay. Um, regret. Okay? Regret. No, I'm not. <laughs> hey, we're family tonight. 
<laughs> okay, I want to talk about materialism next because I actually don't have that much longer. So treasures in heaven. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in. Stare, store them up in heaven. Now look, most of us are so Christian that we would not say that we have a problem with materialism, but our bank accounts and our houses and our storages would say otherwise, okay? And, and I'm just going to go ahead and, and say right here that this is something that, that I, I did not think I had a problem with because I don't like to shop and I'm not really into things. But what I found is that I emotionally invested into stuff and was afraid to let go of stuff even if I didn't buy it for myself. So I had a garage full, still have a garage full of stuff we're waiting for it to get warmer to have a garage sale, okay? I know it's warmer now, but it's been a really, really busy month. Anyway, but this year, God really spoke to me at the end of last year and said, make room. And sometimes things have us, and we don't have our things, right? And it's amazing what happens when you start to really ask God to show you how materialism has grabbed you. Because we can say all we want. Can I get just a little personal? We can say all we want that we're not materialistic. But if we're not tithing, I, I don't know what to say. I mean, how are, you, how are we storing up treasures in heaven? That's like the person who says that they're really investing for, for the future, but they don't invest for the future. Right? I have a great retirement plan. Really, what is it? Well, I mean, we're not really doing anything right now. Then you don't have a great retirement plan. And if, if everything in your life points to where our treasures here on earth, that is where your treasures are, and that is where your heart will be. And sometimes we can wonder why there's angst in our life and why we're not able to expand, why we're not able to move past, why we're not able to whatever. And we need to look at the actual scriptures that say actual things to our actual lives and realize that materialism and greed will keep us from our futures. They will keep us from expanding. And this is, this is the thing that's, there's so many different ways that this, this translates. Um, there's, there's hoarding, there's holding on to things we don't need, there's buying more to fill the holes within us, there's conspicuous consumption, there's massive amounts of debt, there's all of these different things. And it feels like we don't have a choice. And anytime we feel like we don't have a choice, then we are a slave to something. If you feel you don't have a choice, then that thing has control over you. And you need to examine why you don't have a choice and get a choice because there is a choice. There's a choice. And um, I, I, it's just, it's amazing what happens when people get free. I've been following, um, I've been following Dave Ramsey recently. It's one of the most inspiring things I've ever seen because he posts these posts of all these people of different walks of life who are now debt-free. You have never seen happier people in your whole life. And these aren't people who are millionaires. These are like, one of the girls was a deployed service woman, okay? And she, 
I, it, it was my, the things I have read have been mind-blowing. Their circumstances are not different than the norm, but their mentality is different than the norm. And when we understand that God is our provider, but we also understand that we have a chance to store up treasures in heaven, right, versus earth, it changes our choices here on earth. Materialism can get us. You know, I don't think that when we get to heaven, we're going to think about the watch we didn't buy or the shirt we didn't get. When we were born, we are naked coming into the world. I've birthed three children. I'm absolutely sure of that. And when we die, we don't get to take a thing with us except for the souls that we are going to bring into eternity. That's it. That's it. So that means that everything we own, we don't own. We steward. Everything that we have, every house we inhabit, that's not our house. We're just living there for the time being. And when we understand the temporariness of what we hold in our hand, the value of it goes way down. It goes way down. And we start to look at things that are eternal. And when we start to look at things that are eternal, God will expand our minds to see more and to be able to do more. What time am I supposed to be done, babe? Okay. All right. Are you sticking with me? All right, great. Um, Let's talk about two more things. Comparison. This is what's so interesting about heavenly treasures is that I don't know how many heavenly treasures you have and you don't know how many heavenly treasures I have. They're unseen. So what's the thing that we can't do? We can't compare. I can't compare with you. I don't know. Have you ever walked into the room and you like a like a like a meeting and you don't know who's who? Like you're really unsure of what's going on and you don't know like 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 who you're supposed to connect with and who you're not. You know, here at church, we're just all connecting with each other and we're all in community, but all of us have been in situations where, you know, we're going to meet the CEO or we're going to meet, like, the boss or we're going to meet this person or that person. And when you walk in the room, maybe you don't know who they are. I I was at a um, thing over in Shreveport about five years ago, and they had invited this group of Chinese investors to come in. And there was one guy who was with the group who was talking a lot, and so everybody he was paying super close attention to him and like fawning over him. And there was an older guy kind of standing back by the coffee that nobody was trying to engage with. So I went and engaged with him and I found out he was the guy who was the chairman of the board and who was making all of the decisions in the investment and nobody knew who he was. This is what I love about the system that God has set up on earth is that he tells us to be no respecter of persons. He tells us not to treat each other different, but he knows us, right? So he creates this secret economy that we can't see so that when I interact with you, I don't know who you are. I don't know how many treasures that you've piled up in heaven. And so my behavior changes just a little bit because I might be in the presence of somebody Does that make sense to you? Okay. All right, great. So comparison. Comparison is deadly. 
It darkens our perspective. When I start trying to be Clarissa, I'm not a good destiny. When Clarissa tries to be a destiny, she's not a good Clarissa because we're, we're not the same. And we can't compare. We can learn from each other. We can collaborate with each other. We can even conflict with each other so that we get sharper and so that we get better. But we better not compare. Right? Okay. Regret. Regret. Now, I don't know about you, but, but this verse to me speaks so much about regret, this, this whole idea of where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, because those things lead to regret. But also in verse 24, it says, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. And I think that what regret does is it brings pain into our lives where there doesn't need to be pain, because we aren't able to live our life looking forward we live our life looking backward. And um, you see this a lot, and, and I've been saying things about marriage, but it can be in any relationship. But you see this a lot in marriage because um, people use the language of regret, and it sounds like this. Um, it's not like it used to be. You're not, you don't talk to me the way you used to talk to me. We don't go out on dates like we used to. You'd, it's all, well, this is what's, the bad about the language of regret is the only response to the language of regret is defense because I can't fix that. I can't fix that. Um, I deal with regret a lot because I'm a circular reasoner. Any circular reasoners out there? Like you, you know what I'm talking about? Like you decide something and then you're like, I don't know if I decided that. And then you say it, well, maybe have we decided that before now? Are there any circular reasons out there? Okay, there's more of you. Glad you're with me. Solidarity. We'll have a small group. But anyway, I deal, I deal with regret. I do. I deal with regret. I deal with regret hardcore because I want to look backwards. And this is what I've found is that, yeah, it's more painful to look backwards, but it's also easier because if I have to turn my face to what's forward, it's going to take so much more mental energy, and it's going to take so much more effort. That's how it feels, right? And also, I can do something about my future. All I can do is lament my past, right? But this is what's so great, is that if I can change my regret to reset, did you notice the alliteration there? Thank you. I just, I need that, thanks. Um, if we change it to reset, we can actually move forward. So, so, so in our example, let me, let me give you, instead of going to my spouse and saying, you don't treat me the way you used to. We don't go out on dates like we used to. You're not the same as you're used to. I speak to what I want. Hey, babe, will you take me out on a date Friday? Hey, babe, you know what? I'd really like to, to talk on Sunday about our relationship. Hey, babe, do you think that you could use, um, you know, do you think you could tell me how pretty I am today, like right now? In this moment. You know what I mean? Hey, do you, do you, do you think that, that we could, I don't know, let, let, let's put on ABBA and just dance around the living room. ABBA's coming out with new music. Just thought you should know. Okay, we love ABBA. Reset allows me to move forward. 
and it allows me to expand. Regret contracts my world, and it's not even fair because I compare what is real with what is fantasy. Because the only reality I know is the one in which I made that decision. I don't know what the result of another decision would have been. I don't know the heartache that might have come. I don't know the difficulty. I don't know anything about that other road. I may presuppose that it is easier. I may presuppose that it was better, but I don't know. And it's not fair to compare reality with fantasy. So regret. And then let's go to verse 22. It says, if your eye is the lamp of the body, if your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And this is what, just in the context of the whole thing, that I really feel like it's being talked about here is religion. Religion will keep you from expanding. And when we get obsessed with religious things, rather than the people who are created in God's image, who God loves, it'll obstruct our purpose and it'll create darkness within. And this is the thing. Um, A religious spirit, an overly religious spirit, always comes from being judgmental and critical. And in my opinion, it comes from unforgiveness somewhere along the line. That's just been my experience. When I meet people who are super hyper-religious, they're dealing with unforgiveness, and they're usually dealing with secret sin. They're usually dealing with something super, super deep that they feel like they can. So they create this world where they're the only superior ones, right? So that no one dare judge them because they're going to judge everybody else. The best way to stay out of jail is to become the judge, right? <laughs> and that's what we do. And, and Paul understood this. Um, he understood Jesus's heart because that's what Jesus talks about a lot, And he talks about the abuses of religion. He talks about setting up the law over people. He talks about using the law to hurt people. When he's talking about divorce, divorce was one of the most cruel laws in the the Old Testament because women could literally be completely disenfranchised, not have property, not have any type of source of income in a moment. Some rabbis said because they burnt dinner. What are we even talking about? I would, all the time, all the time. (laughs) And Paul understood this. And he speaks so strongly against having a religious spirit. Colossians 2, 16. Therefore, don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality is found in Christ. Don't let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. The most unspiritual people, he's saying, 
are the ones that call themselves spiritual. They have lost connection with the head, right, Christ, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, that they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. And then Colossians 3.1 says this, Since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your whole life is now hidden with Christ in God. What are the heavenly things? It's what we do for other people. See, Christianity is not as complicated as we would make it. Jesus really, really does say what he means. He, he, he said that, that he wanted us to feed the hungry, give drink to the thirsty, clothe the naked, visit those who were in prison, lay hands on the sick. That's what he wants us to do. He wants us to focus on him and not get caught up in judging each other. Because this is what's so great, is if we will all focus on him, he'll take care of the other stuff. But when we let religion become an excuse to avoid the dictate that came first, that was to love your enemies, even people who disagree with you, then we're taking the letter of the law and making it over the spirit of the law. Because Jesus told us the spirit. The spirit is love. The spirit is to love each other. Do we declare truth? Absolutely. But we declare truth in what? Love. And guess what? Nobody cares about your truth if they don't know that you love them. And they don't know that Jesus loves them. That's the whole point of the gospel is that Jesus Christ is the Savior and that he proved it by becoming by, by resurrecting from the dead. I mean, that's the crux of the gospel. If you aren't there, who cares what you do? If you don't believe in Jesus, then my goodness, none of the rules apply to you anyway because do you see my point? Do you see how futile religion can be? That we can be so worried about the salt and the, the herbs and the this and the that and the da, 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 that we miss the whole point and we don't love each other. And we don't care for each other. Pride, goodness, pride comes in so easily. You know, we're all so incredibly different. And we see things so differently. And it's so easy to get prideful in that, isn't it? Compromise. Because we know what God's asked of us, don't we? I'm talking about individually in our hearts. And it's a lot easier to lean on religion to excuse our own behavior and to condemn other people's behavior, isn't it? Worry goes on. It says in verse 25, 
Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life. What will you eat or drink or what you'll wear? It says, don't worry about all these things. And then at the end, it says, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And this is what I would just say to you, is that so much of what Philip talked about really comes down to all of this. You know, if we're going to believe, then, then we can't live our lives in worry. They, they don't work together. If we're going to expand our lives, we can't constantly be afraid. We can't constantly live in worry. And, you know, I find that when we don't forgive, we don't fully believe God has forgiven us. And if you don't believe God has fully forgiven you, then really there's not a heaven that you're really sure of. So why would we invest treasures in it? And we may as well judge everybody else to just make ourselves feel a little bit better. And, of course, we're worried because there's a lot to worry about. Do you see that just wheel? But when we stop and we choose to forgive, really forgive, we choose to recognize that God has forgiven us, then he can start rooting out those things. Hey, you came from a super religious home and you always vowed that you would never be that way and you are, you know? You, you, you've, you've been so critical so much of your life that now it's a habit and you don't even know how to have a conversation without being judgmental and critical and I'm going to have to retrain your whole brain. Are you ready for that? Hey, your stuff's got you. It's got you so hardcore and you don't even, you don't even feel like, you feel like this is just normal. This is just the way that everybody lives. And it is, but you weren't called to be normal. So when we just choose to forgive, then God can begin to pull these other things out too. I just feel like it, you know, they talk about keystone habits, and, and forgiveness is just a keystone thing in Christianity. It's the core of everything. Um, Philip Bussey, will you come and play? And this is, we're going to end, and we're going we're gonna to pray for forgiveness. And, and if any of these things touch your heart, we're going to spend a little bit of time at the altar, and it's going to be wonderful but, but I want to give you just a few signposts on the way to expansion. See, expansion starts with a decision. It starts with you hearing the truth, reading the Bible yourself, or hearing me talk about it, or hearing Philip talk about it, or hearing it on a podcast and making a decision and saying, you know what, I don't want to live this way anymore. I'm going to do something different now. I don't want to live in regret. I don't want to live in materialism. I don't want to live in worry. I don't want to live in unforgiveness. I don't want to live in these things. I don't want to anymore. And so we decide. And then we declare. We speak it out loud. If you're really going to forgive and it's, a, it's been an ongoing issue for you, declarations aren't optional. There was a lady in our church, in, in this church, and she's probably here. I don't even remember who you are, so don't think that I still remember who you are. But she came up to me, and she was like, Destiny, I've been in this church for however long, and um, declarations work. Yeah, I'm glad. Tell me more about that. What? She goes, well, I've heard for 20 years of my life 
about declarations. I've told other people to do declarations, but for the first time, I started doing them on a daily basis, and it's changed everything. Come on. That's the way we all are. We all have things that we know. Paul said it. I know what to do, and I don't do it. But if we want want to expand, we're going to have to do some declarations. We're going to have to write them down. If you don't know what to write, just grab somebody who looks like they know what they should write, you know? Just be like, write it for me. I'm putting it up on my window. You don't like it, you can change it later. But write it. Place it. Put it somewhere. Say it every single day until it starts changing the way you think. And then put up a new declaration about the new thing that you're facing. And then develop Let God develop you. Devote yourself. Do the work over and over again. Meet that unforgiving thought again. Stop having that conversation with your cousin again. Stop talking to that boss that fired you unfairly 10 years ago and set your whole career path off on the wrong track again. Stop it. He doesn't deserve another five minutes of your thought. What he does deserve is your forgiveness that Jesus asked for it. this is what I feel like tonight is I feel like that we need to lean towards deliverance because there's some things that are so deep in our heart we can decide all day we can declare all day we can develop and learn all day we can devote all day but if we don't have a moment of deliverance we're not going to be able to move forward Because there's pain that comes from generational things. You watched your dad be an addict and your granddad be an addict and everybody else be an addict. And now you're sitting on the cusp of being an addict and you need that to be broken in the name of Jesus. That anger that you saw through the line, you need that to be broken. That poverty mentality, you need that to be broken. That fear that you see in other people, in your family, you need that to be broken in the name of Jesus. Past relationships that just still seem to haunt you. You don't understand why you can't get away from it. It needs to be broken. You need to be delivered in the name of Jesus. Those inner vows, those promises that keep us from moving forward, they need to be broken in the name of Jesus. And so tonight, this is what I want us to do. Here at North Point Community Church, we believe in creating Christ-centered, culture-changing community through the message of Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for your support. If you would like more information, you can visit our website at ncc.team or follow us on any social media platform at CC North Point.